A reading from Psalm 133. These are God's words. A song of ascent of David. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the good oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there Yahweh commanded the blessing, life forever. These are God's words. You can take your seats. The title of the psalm tells us that this is a psalm of ascent, which means that it was to be sung as worshippers came up to Jerusalem for a calendar feast, or when they ascended up to the Temple Mount. Jerusalem was a city on a hill, and the temple was built on a hill. So in order to worship God in the places that he had appointed, it always required an ascent. So, as Israel made this ascent to their appointed places of worship, they sung these psalms of ascent, and we have 14 of them recorded for us in the book of Psalms. This particular psalm of ascent is a short meditation on the blessing of unity. Knowing that this is David's meditation on unity, knowing his life and how it was filled with division and trouble amongst brothers, it adds weight to its message. David was singing about a unity that he didn't always have, so it was a precious thing to him, especially when he was ascending to worship alongside his brothers. Let's think about unity for a moment. If men did not sin, unity would be our natural state. We would seek each other's good, we would love each other, and no divisions would occur. But since we are sinners, we are inclined toward division. James 4.1 says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures or your desires that wage war in your members? Our sinful desires create all kinds of barriers or separations, even to the point of starting wars between us. And when sin is left to reign, it makes us grow further and further apart. But when sin is overcome or covered, relationships move in the opposite direction. They unite. So when unity does exist between sinners, it shows that there has been an overcoming of sin. And if there has been an overcoming of sin, that is the gift of God. It has to be a gift. Because the Bible teaches us that in our fallen nature, we are helpless against our sinful desires. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So this psalm aptly highlights the source of our unity. Unity is a gift from God. So how does David establish this? David compares the blessing of unity to a couple biblical images. The oil that ran down Aaron's beard onto his garments and the dew of Hermon running down the mountain. I have to admit that these two images, particularly the first one, did not glorify or cause me to desire unity for much of my life. One could think, what's so great about someone pouring out a bottle of oil on your head until it pours all over your clothes, especially in a dusty Middle Eastern context? It's hard to be thankful when someone tries to bless you with an oily beard that needs washing right away. 
And you might have sympathies with this thinking as you sit there, and that is okay. But eventually we want to get to a place where we can all sing these things naturally. We don't want this to be that weird song that we awkwardly sing about oily beds. We want to be able to say, yes, unity is good, like the oil of, on Aaron's bed was good. Obviously, it occurred to David that these images were a fitting way of describing the blessing of unity. They had a natural connection in his mind somehow. So we're going to spend the next little while establishing the reasons why these things should naturally have a connection in our minds so that we can naturally sing them. So what was this anointing of Aaron and what connection does it have to unity? In Leviticus 8, Yahweh spoke to Moses and told him to anoint all the things used in the priestly service with oil. This anointing symbolically showed God's pleasure in the appointment of these things for his service. And this anointing of oil indicated that these things were set apart as holy. Aaron, being the high priest, was anointed by Moses in verse 12. So let's read that now. It said, Then he poured out some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and, appointed him, and anointed him sorry, to set him apart as holy. So God, through Moses, set apart Aaron and his office as holy. Now, unity is nowhere to be seen in this passage. It is not the subject of Leviticus 8. And you would be hard-pressed to find lessons about unity from Aaron's life after his anointing. The idea of unity and Aaron's anointing were not connected in Scripture until David connected them in Psalm 133. So why connect them? What relevance do they have to each other? This is what I think David's point is. The invisible anointing of God, or the, the invisible anointing of God is on those who are united. God invi God's invisible anointing of unity is like the visible anointing of Aaron with oil. The visible oil was a symbol of God's blessing on the office of, of high priest. And comparing unity to this symbol makes us think of an invisible oil that indicates God's anointing on us or on, on a unified people, or his pleasure in unified people as they dwell together in unity. But this was not all that this image had in it. Um, it also has um, that the, the oil that was poured on Aaron's head flowed down onto his beard and then onto his robes. Interestingly, uh, the account of Le Leviticus has nothing about Aaron's beard in it and the oil flowing on his robes. So what are we to make of this, and why did David include it? Both the images used in this psalm, the, f the oil flowing down the robes and the dew flowing down the mountain, indicate an overabundance, too much for the top to contain. The place where the blessing is being poured cannot hold the blessings it receives. And since there is too much for it to catch, it overflows, and the things below it also naturally receive the blessing. Look at the psalm on your page and notice on the left hand side how it says coming down three times. The blessings are coming down, down, down. As the singers of the song are ascending up, up, up to the temple mount, they're thinking about and being thankful for the blessings that are coming down upon them from the source above them. 
the place where God dwells, is symbolically pouring out the blessing that is his temple. And here we have a wonderful reason for us to worship God this morning. When God pours out his blessings, he pours them liberally. He intentionally pours so that it spills over the sides, so that his blessings go beyond the place that he pours. Though it is true that God is liberal with all his blessings, the liberal pouring here is specific to the blessing of unity. This blessing not only affects those that he unites directly, but also those connected to them as well. A unified leadership will bless a congregation. A unified mother and father will bless their kids. Um, a unified family will bless the, unified, uh, the families around them. God's blessings cannot help but impact the broader culture. This should be an encouragement to us this morning. Though our church and families can seem little and insignificant, if God chooses to bless them with unity, they cannot help but impact those who are around them. And with this encouragement, we shall worship and thank God for his benevolence toward us. The liberality of God is part of his character, his nature. So we ought to worship God for this wonderful attribute of his. Praise God. Let's consider David again, the writer of this meditation. With all the division that he had to contend with, when God overcame it, he must have felt the blessing that he gave acutely. His brothers were obediently worshipping Yahweh together with him. They ascended to the Temple Mount together with joint purpose. They were not against each other. There were no divisions. And they were bound together in one very good purpose, to worship the one true God. It's a beautiful image. It was on my heart to share this psalm today because this describes something of what I feel. And we've just had our Thanksgiving feast, so... Um, it's connected. How good and how pleasant it is to be worshipping with you here at Redwood. For us as brothers and sisters to dwell in such unity. The barriers that were present in worship at other times in my life are not present here. And this psalm reminds me of the reason why. Because God has given us a gift. All glory to God. Going back to my earlier point. The reason we can have such fellowship is because God has overcome much sin in our lives. Now, if unity were not a gift, I'd be tooting our own horn right now. But repentance that leads to unity is all part of God's gift to us. Relationships that are loving, reasonable, humble, patient, gentle with one another, and open are the fruit of God's teachings on love, reasonableness, humility, patience, gentleness, and openness. And it's worth pointing out that God has taught us most of these things outside the ministry of Redwood, uh, mainly online and, uh, and through our small group studies and stuff. But God has brought us together, brought together a number of families with a shared understanding, and this too is the gift of God. And while we seem to have learned some things about unity, we seem to be able to have disagreements in love. We're not putting up barriers when things aren't perfect. We all know, and we all sense it within each other, that we know we're a work in progress. 
we can still grow in unity and we will remain dependent upon God for further growth. The Christian should not be simple in their thinking when it comes to the blessings of God. In one sense, the blessings of God are not easily attained. We struggle uphill toward blessing. But if we keep our eyes upward on the source of blessing, these blessings will flow down on us. And so the struggle itself becomes a blessing. When God holds out the offer of blessing in Scripture, he often employs reasons to beckon us toward it, to motivate us for action. For example, when Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, that blessing was something that Jesus here is needed to pursue. You can't be a peacemaker without making peace. It requires action. Jesus motivates us toward that action by holding out two rewards in this case. The general blessing of being a peacemaker is the first, and the second is the privilege of being called a son of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So in the same way, this psalm holds out a beautiful image of blessedness that should entice us to walk toward it. And he gives us one reason at the end, which we will shortly get to. In one sense, we are passive recipients of this blessing like Aaron was. He stood there and received the oil by the will of God. God did everything through Moses. Unity can and should be understood in this way as pure gift. But in another sense, it is a blessing we must strive for. Ephesians 4.3 says, Be diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We must be diligent. We must act. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So we must have it. We must seize it. Psalm 133 holds out a beautiful picture that should beckon us toward the blessings of unity. When we hear Redwood sing these words, we should be both thankful for what we have been given and for what has been described here in the psalm, and at the same time, it should stir up a desire in us to maintain it and to have it in greater measure, because it is beautiful. As I said, this psalm finishes by giving one overarching reason why men and women are truly blessed when they dwell in unity. And there is something a little difficult and very profound in this reason. Let's read the last line together. It says, For there Yahweh commanded the blessing, life forever. The NET version says, For that is where the Lord has decreed a blessing will be available, eternal life. And I think that's a good rendering. Do you think modern Christians would be comfortable speaking as David does here? That in the unity of brothers, Yahweh has commanded the blessing, eternal life. If you were to ask a hundred of them, what blessings accompany unity? How many of them do you think would say eternal life? Before studying the psalm, I certainly wouldn't have. But it doesn't make me uncomfortable now that I've seen it in Scripture. I don't feel the impulse, as some would, to say, whoever believes shall have eternal life, not those who dwell in unity. But how is eternal life, the blessing, 
the definite article blessing of unity. Do we gain eternal life through belief and unity? Again, we should not be simple in our thinking, and we should never shy away from using the language of Scripture. David speaks this way, so we should feel comfortable speaking this way. Every person that was, is, and will be saved is saved entirely through the work of Christ. Solus Christus, in Christ alone. But the work of Christ on the cross is being applied throughout time and history. His saving work is ongoing. The Spirit is imparting blood-bought eternal life through what some theologians call the means of grace. The ministry of a unified body is a means of God's grace. It imparts eternal life. Let me show you some other places in Scripture where we see this idea of means of grace. Uh, These two impart eternal life. One of them we quote every week before the message. James 1.21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Some will say, it was the work of Christ on the cross that saves us, not the implanted word. That's just simple thinking. Too simple. The implantation of the word is a blood-bought ministry. The cross of Christ applied to save the souls of the elect. This is how, this is how the Bible speaks about our salvation. It was secured at one point in history through the cross, but applied throughout history through the Spirit. Let's look at one more. This is also found in the book of James, chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Christ works through men to grant eternal life. In this case, a righteous man brings a wandering man back from his wanderings. This means that church discipline is a unifying act. By putting an unrepentant person outside the body, you increase the unity of the remaining people in the body. And when you bring one back, you're reuniting him with the body, and this is a means of grace used to impart eternal life to him. It will save his soul from death. And so we should also consider unity in this way, as a blessing that imparts eternal life through the work of Christ. For there Yahweh commanded the blessing eternal life. Doesn't this raise the importance of seeking and maintaining unity together in your mind? How often do we see people making a shipwreck of their faith because of leadership splitting and churches having fights? It is by the grace of God that anyone damaged in such bust-ups maintain their faith afterward. Though we know that that receiving eternal life is not necessarily attached to being part of a unified church, we should not nullify what this text is saying to us today. God liberally pours out unity on his church, and from a body that is blessed in this way comes eternal life. So let's take this seriously together. 
and also thank God for what he is doing. And let's confirm David's words as we sing them together. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers when they dwell in unity together. Amen. Sorry.